We're joined here by International Master Kostya Kavutsky. I am David Proust, GM Eugene Perlstein, and my name is Jesse Cry. Today we're going to talk about 1D4. We're going to try to give some of our recommendations about how to play 1D4, different systems you can use against specific openings, and then maybe just different systems in general. So, uh, what we'll do is we're going to switch between this scene where you can see us, and then we're going to show also this, and I'm going to then, um, you know, write in what people tell me is their uh, recommendation for each given opening. All right. Um, who would like to start? Well, maybe we could, like, just chat for a bit, yeah. as we do, about uh, general, like, you know, opening... Um, philosophy. I, I assume a lot of the people that are going to be watching this watched our previous like E4 uh, recommendations and and what we said for like black openings. Um, so I think I would I would just like to echo that like, yeah, my recommendations are going to be mainly geared for uh, improving players, players who are like club players, like tournament players, um, let's say up to like 22, 23, 2400. At that level, I feel like, you know, people should just they should know by by then like what openings <laughs> they should be playing i think you know main lines whatever they want to do um and i'm going to try to give recommendations for lines that i believe are objectively sound but at the same time like really practical like you don't have to study a lot of theory to play them well um they're more kind of like idea and concept based and openings that just by playing them and studying them kind of like make you a better player because you're exposed to like really interesting and like important middle game uh, positions. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. I really like to approach practicality first. Actually, a really interesting question is, should people play D4 at all? <laughs> and if so, like at what point? Because for most beginners, I would totally recommend them to start with E4 hmm. and stay away from D4 until they're like maybe 1800, 2000 minimum. I don't know. What do you guys think? Oh, that's high. That's an interesting yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I can kind of give you the Russian school of thought approach to that is you're supposed to learn chess from how it was developed through the ages. So basically learn gambits first, right? That's how it's been taught, play all King's gambits, maybe some unsound gambits, but then you really get appreciation for time and material because a lot of even club players I'm teaching 1800s, 2000 have no clue what is time and what is material and how they equate. Like, for example, if you were to make an equ equation, you know, hypothetical, how much is one pawn or two pawns worth? Like, is it two tempi, three tempi, right? I feel like without that foundation, it's really hard to, uh, you know, if you've never played those types of chess to immediately play d4 and uh, just focus on positional chess. Yeah, I think what um, I think we tell people when they're beginning to play with initiative and gambits and tactical stuff, we tell them to play that way because they're usually kids. <laughs> kids need to have that way of playing, and it's a very, it's definitely a good part for them to go through. But if you're starting like a lot of people are out there who are older, I don't think they should try to play that way. They're just gonna get hurt. It's like trying to be evil can evil, and. Eventually, you're going to have to find your style. I think to Kostya's question, I think where it gets 
hard, and I put this as the subtitle is give me some space for 1d4, because oftentimes you're playing with something like a space advantage, and that is, it's a hard thing for anybody to do, even for grandmasters mm -hmm. to play with the space advantage. So if you play d4, you should understand that you're, you are doing something very, you're trying to do something very deep and abstract in a lot of these variations. Um, and I'll just do an addendum, is that me and Kosi have a bitter fight that we wage out on this show, which is, should we have different recommendations for club players uh, than for more advanced players? And in general, I don't think there's that big of a difference. But I wanted to mention it here because space, even for a, you know, a weak GM like myself, is a very hard thing to do, but it's something that does require a learning curve. So that is part of the 1D4 journey that anyone goes on. Yeah, I, I recommend to beginners all the time to try D4 as well as E4. That'll be no surprise to anyone mm -hmm. who's <laughs> listened to the previous shows. Um, but, you know, I encourage them to play C4 and Knight F3 and G3 and even F4. So, um, you know, I think D4 is an interesting move and you can play it some and learn something from it. Uh, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I think you can like, you can develop your chess playing anything and it makes sense to just get exposed to a bunch of different positions because opening principles are still principles whether you're playing e4 or d4 a lot of the exact same things still apply um i guess where i'm coming from is that i found that we, yeah when you play like a d4 opening and you know or you know you look up like some avric book on the catalan you end up getting these positions that are like plus equal but yeah like the play is so subtle from there that it's like it's really hard for a lot of players to kind of be able to follow up properly compared to like something like a simpler gambit where it's like, okay, you just attack F7. <laughs> you know, your job is to look at moves that attack F7. That's like a lot, a lot easier to kind of uh, follow. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's like, it's definitely a really interesting uh, topic. Okay. Well, why don't we move it then to our grid? And one thing that um, I want to say in advance is, there was a number of different ways we could have done this. We could have listed a lot more openings. I just picked eight here. And um, we could have also done it in terms of systems or opening repertoires. For example, it might have been interesting to say uh, the opening repertoire of Kasparov 1989 or uh, Kramnik 2003, you know, something like that. And so we'll just see that... For a lot of these openings, it depends a lot on what general system you're playing as the one D4 player, right? So right. I think we'll get it. So we're going to get into some move order questions. Coming right, like in there may be quick. some people who are looking for kingside fianchettos in a whole bunch of different openings, right? Because that's sort of like a consistent system that helps them through different move orders. Exactly, right? So for example, we're going to talk about the QGD, the Queen's Gambit Declined as our first opening. And if you were a Catalan player and play like the G3 systems, maybe even play three G3, that will apply to a lot of the other systems that we're gonna talk about today as well. Right. Okay, David, let's start. Absolutely. All right, I'm the, I'm the first column, I guess. So against the Queen's Gambit declined, um, I think that there's, well, I mean, there's probably more than one uh, sort of close to equal approach to it. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess I would go with the Catalan. 
Uh Again, my, my recommendations are just based on what variation I think is best. Cause I actually think that everyone should play everything. And then, uh, so my answer here is not what somebody should play. It's just what I think is probably like the best approach to the position. I think the Catalan is really good, but I think it's probably against QG pretty much equal to, you know, Bishop G5 main lines, Bishop G5, E3. Okay, so good. It's probably 50-50 to me. Like, I don't, I can't tell that one's better than the other. I've played both, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... For my bit, I want to explain a little bit about the move order I'm going to espouse, and that is d4, and then we're going to play c4 and knight c3, and it'll depend a lot. This will change a lot of our our options, and some will definitely limit us in some ways as well. So, for example, against the queen's gambit declined, um, I'm going to say that we're going to play the Carlsbad structure. And that will just involve taking on d5 early. I'll probably splinter my recommendations for a lot of these um, lines because uh, with David, I would say like the Catalan is a really, really interesting opening, but I'm not sure if I would like recommend it to people that are like just starting out. Um, I think if like you're just starting out and uh, you're looking for something to play, then like either e4 or I would even say something like uh, the London system, totally acceptable. Mm-hmm. You just want something like safe and easy and just get the game going. might not be the best thing long-term. People are already killing me in the chat. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't but it's like, if you it. literally just started playing, you know, chess in the last like a uh, couple months, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, you're just like a total, total beginner. And then like, by all means, just get your pieces out and, and get a, get a game. But let's say for, um, Club players, I would go with the, I guess, Carlsbad, Knight C3, the classical stuff. Okay. And then for, let's say, um, players, uh, maybe, eh, I think 1800 and up, I would go with the Catalan. I think that's a good choice. Okay. Um, so what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to, because I know Eugene likes to do this too. The so two different recommendations. The one in the left will be the, for the club players and the one on the right will be the more advanced. I just wanted to make sure people understood what I was saying. So c4, e6, knight c3, knight f6, cd, ed. This is what we're talking about with the Carlsbad setup. Eugene, what would you like to say for qgd? Yeah, so I would definitely agree that Carlsbad is a great opening for, honestly, from the like, not maybe the very, very beginner, but from like, let's say a low level club player to master and higher. Uh-huh. And the reason why I like this opening is because the pawn structure is set, right? right? Meaning that, you know, white's gonna set up his pawns usually like this, black's gonna put the pawn on C6. And then there's all position is very rich in terms of plans. For example, the bishop can go to D3, Knight can go to f3 or sometimes on e2, which is actually more popular these days. Yeah. And you have to study Botvinnik, right? And those classics. And then there's the minority attack. So what I like is this is a very rich structure and one can approach this in a very kind of rigid manner. Uh, you don't have to face all, you know, all, all weird uh, setups. Usually there's usually, I would say maybe three or four different setups you have to know and uh, just execute your plan against those setups that Black plays. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. 
So would you like me to say for Carl's, but Carlsbad not for everybody? Is that what I'm hearing? No, no, no. I would say Carlsbad, you can play at low-level club player to world champion. Okay, That's good. a structure that I would not even say below 2,000. I mean, that's, you know, you can, you can be a very strong uh, master and keep playing this. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, these are still main lines at all levels. Absolutely, yeah. yeah so yeah. basically, uh, what I like about, normally I would not recommend Carlsbad type or Queen's Gambit type of opening unless Carlsbad is guaranteed. Uh-huh. Um, so the drawback let me just kind of talk through the drawback uh, here's the drawback with this d4 move order after d5 c4 right you have to know what to do against e5 I mean that's a pretty serious gambit line right so mm-hmm. Albin counter gambit you have to know what to do against the Kramnik line which is knight takes d5 right Okay, I used to call that the semi-tarash. Or the semi-tarash, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. now Kramnik kind of revived it and everybody plays the same. Mm-hmm. Very tough to break through. Mm-hmm. But um, you, you don't have to know like that much here, unless you're playing at like GM levels. Like, Yeah, I guess for a club player, it has absolutely no uh, relation to the ca- the Carlsbad. If anything, it's somewhat similar to the Grunfeld structure, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. five. So I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that uh, if you are guaranteed the Carlsbad, it's an easy one to learn, but nobody's going to guarantee you the Carlsbad if you're a club player who only learned the Carlsbad, right? So if you play the Queen's Gambit, uh, if you're facing Queen's Gambit decline, you also have to know all these other moves. So that's why I would be hesitant to recommend D4, C4, Knight, C3 to the ones who are on the lower level at the club level or not as ambitious. Mm-hmm. And I would actually, my recommendation would be to play London system. I knew you were going to say it. Because it's a pretty easy opening to play. You just play d4, bishop, f4, c3, e3. Uh-huh. Or I would recommend red t um, slash maybe um, king's Indian attack. Depending on how black plays. Which one so would you? Which one would you like me to write down, Eugene? Um, that's a good question. I'll just say uh, King's Indian attack. Well, usually with Knight of Three move order, which is sort of like the red team, but mm-hmm. the let's the King's call it Indian the red. Attack. Let's call it the yeah. Red. Let's call sure. it the red. Yeah. But if the London system is so easy to play, why does everybody play it so badly? <laughs> um, you mean for white? Mm-hmm. Well, by everyone who like Magnus. No, not Magnus. <laughs> he plays everything well. Right. So that's, you know, ultimately the London system used to be the forgotten opening until probably five years ago, right? That Magnus started playing and everybody else. The only player who consistently played the London system before that is Gata Kamsky. Gata. Mm-hmm. If anyone, I would not call it London, I would call it the Kamsky system. Yeah, the Kamsky, that's right. He truly deserves to be, uh, you know, the modern father like like mm. the Kramnik of the Berlin and Kramnik of all maybe half dozen other openings. Yeah, it's but according Kramnik. to Grischuk, it's the uh, bishop's opening. <laughs> well, if you look at the at the old Russian uh, encyclopedia of openings, it's probably going to be called the bishop's opening. That's funny. <laughs> like nineteen, you know, going to nineteen eighties and, and and earlier. <laughs> 
Um, I think, and I've said this with the E4 openings as well, that what we're really seeing at all levels is very interesting thing where even players who aren't exposed to Magnus's games, who haven't looked at him that deeply, are playing in his minimalistic style. And the London really captures that style where you're just playing for the smallest of edges in a kind of technical position. Uh, you see that in the way he plays one e4 too. So it's this trickle down effect that is going on with with that I feel. Yeah. And the I London really think the popularity yeah. of the London comes from Gata. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. In my opinion, rather than from <laughs> Carlson. I mean, I think Carlson probably looked into it because of Gata. I, mean, I think Gata started a, a popularity oh, trend sure. on it. Oh, yeah. Gata definitely started it. But I'm saying this new way of playing, that's all that's all Carlson, you know. It's a totally new, different way of playing chess. For example, I'm gonna—I'm this old guy, and I'm gonna be advocating a repertoire with D4, C4. Well, like Eugene and I said in the last show, that was just the way things were done. <laughs> that's the way they were done back in the day, and I still believe that's the best way. But it's not the new Carlson way. Mm-hmm. Okay, David, let's move on to Queen's Gambit Accepted, which we don't, you know, it was kind of didn't have to be on this list. There's other openings we could have added, but I do feel, at least in my mind, it's one of the major responses to D4. Yeah, it's a, it's a good real opening. I, um, I think instinctively or principledly mm-hmm. that after D takes C4, black is threatening E5. Mm-hmm. And white's best move would be Knight F3 to prevent that. Okay, so three knight f three, yeah, and then you're just obviously playing. the lines are longer than that, but I don't know the names of the lines. I don't know how to like describe it exactly. But uh-huh. you play knight f three because you want to prevent e five. I think that's the better choice on move three compared to e three e four or knight c three. Um, and uh, you know, a typical approach from black is going to be to play some version of e six, a six, and c five against this, right? Right, and typically um, you're going to end up with an IQP because you're going to play e3 at some point and take on c4 with your bishop, and black will play c5 and cd. But I mean, there's like a lot of other things that can happen, but that's one likely scenario just to orient people. Okay, and actually, since my answer is a little bit similar, uh, I'll, I'll sh- I'm going to share the window here, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about it. So. Uh, E4, by the way, I think is a good move, but let's do this knight f3 for a second. And the thing that people are going to hate me for, but I do think is a good way to play this, is you could either call this the Kramnik variation or the endgame variation. I think I'm going to call it the endgame variation. And Mm -hmm. um, actually, I did check much for this show at the beginning, but I did turn on Stockfish. I was like, really, Stockfish? What do you think about this position? (laughs) And Stockfish was like, I approve. This is great for white. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, what what David was saying was you can play this way with knight of three. You could, a lot of times, three e3 will transpose. Um, But there's different ways of playing it. David, I presume, on a6 would say something like, Queen E2 here. Oh, I'm okay with taking on C5 too. Oh, that looks okay. pretty good to me. I think <laughs> okay. I think Black's I think Black suffers a bit in this line. Mm-hmm. I think that's like clear that Black suffers a bit. Um, so it's fine. Okay. I mean, I would say play everything, you know. But I, th- 
I, do I know whether D takes C5 or Queen E2 is stronger? I'm not sure. Okay, fair enough. All right, but close. Th this was further along than, than what I was suggesting, you know, like I wouldn't play E3 on move three because of E5. Not that I would never play it. I mean, I would play it to practice mm. different things, right? right? But if I had to guess what the best move is, right? I think Knight F3 is gonna be better than E3 or E4 because of the E5 move for black. Fair enough, and I, I guess I should just point out that the reason one might consider playing e3 instead of um, instead of knight f3 is on knight f3, you do have to worry eventually about bishop g4, yeah. knight f6 first, for example. Anyways, yeah. that's kind of a sideline that mm -hmm. e3 gets out of, but like David says, if you play e3, you know, this can be a little bit annoying to face as well with e5. Okay, Kostya, what do you have for us? Um, yeah, so my thoughts on the QJ have kind of changed over the years, but mm -hmm. uh, last couple of years, I've just been feeling that 3e4 is the way to go. Like, I think this is just like the critical move, and uh, I don't think it's, I don't think white really has to know like that much to like make it work. Um, whereas after like knight f3, I've often felt like black can get a pretty comfortable game if they're just familiar with a lot of like the typical ideas. Actually, going back really quick, just because I didn't really mention it, I feel like the Catalan at a certain level, there's like a certain sweet spot where it's like very <laughs> overpowered for white. It's like if you, I would say, I would estimate like maybe like 1900 to 2100. If you're playing the Catalan at this range, mm -hmm. it's like really difficult or much harder i think for black to play those positions than for white and so if you have this understanding of like the initiative and how to use the diagonal and and sack pawns and all this stuff like you can really score i think a lot of wins <laughs> very specifically in that range below that level i feel like you might not be ready for the catalan and then above that level people are like better at defending <laughs> uh -huh. so that's kind of the i just wanted to mention that real quick um but yeah for the qga i would just go with e4 um, if you really need to learn some theory, you can uh, take a look at like the uh, the newer Avrik book. But um, I don't think it's really that much white has to know there. I would just play it and and learn learn uh, learn through trial by combat. Okay, fair enough. I don't guess... read opening books. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> One thing too about this we should say is if you play the London, you avoid the Queen's Gambit accepted. <laughs> you just avoid it, buddy. So that's one of the reasons it's a little bit. I don't know. We're not even talking about it too much right now. I think 3e4 is a great move as well. Um, okay, Eugene, what do you think? Yeah, that was actually a good segue. I was going to say, if my student plays d4, I would probably avoid the Queen's Gambit accepted mm -hmm. uh, and just play the London. But mm -hmm. if we were to play d4, uh, c4, I have an interesting suggestion. Okay. Uh, if you're a club player and you go into this, you know, Jesse's recommended endgame line or the Kramnik line, mm -hmm. you pretty much have no chance to understand the subtleties of this endgame, probably up to about 2000 level. It's just too complicated because yeah. white's advantage in these endgames is so tiny. Sometimes you just have a bishop pair, sometimes you have a tempo, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes you have a slightly better, you know, pieces, more organized pieces that I think under 2000 is just too difficult. So that's, you know, my recommendation. That's, it's probably too difficult. Therefore, I would recommend something more aggressive, something like this move E4, mm -hmm. where there's more pieces in the game. 
there is cool lines which involve this e5. For instance, you can play knight f3, e, mm. you know, something like that. Yeah. That's, I think, very easy. You have very simple development. It's like a gambit, right? You sack the pawn, you're going to castle. I think for people under 2,000, this is the way to do it. Now, okay. funny story. Today, I had a stream, and somebody asked me to play. I don't. This, this is not my opening. I never play uh, against Queen's Gambit accepted when I play d4. But somebody played this against me, and I played e3, which I think is also a pretty good move. And they played David's recommendation, e5. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to go against somebody who is really who knows their stuff. So look what I did. I improvised because I I don't really know this. I played knight of three. <laughs> and of course, I set up a little trap, right? This is cute, uh -huh. uh, which everybody knows. But my opponent also knew that. He played check. Very logical move, right? Um, I played knight bd2. He takes, takes. And here he played either knight, knight f6, I think. And he walked into this thing. Mm -hmm. Nice. And that, that was a really interesting position. I played e4. He took. He played rook e8. And after that, he's in big trouble. Right? Mm -hmm. Threat nice. here and threat there. And he fell mm -hmm. apart pretty quickly. So that's an example that I'm a grandmaster. I have no clue what the theory is. Yet, once you are strong enough with your basic understanding of how time and material correlate, you can actually improvise. And just play, you know, normal chess as early as, you know, when was my novelty? Uh, going all the way back to here, I played a novelty. Oh, wait, I'm going right here. I played a novelty on move, uh, what, knight of three, right? That's not what anybody plays. On move five. I already started improvising here. That's generous That's to call cool. that a novelty. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <generous>. <laughs> Because no book is probably going to talk about this. No, yeah, Bishop B4 is too strong. Um, okay, you know, one thing actually I want to mention in our debate, in our beautiful debate here about which players should wait, play which kind of uh, openings. I, let's take a look, actually. I just want to give a point. to So the argument that Kostya and Eugene would like to say is that players, let's say, below 1900 aren't going to understand the subtleties they will involve in carrying this advantage forward but if they're also playing 1900s i just want to say this simple and obvious <laughs> those players are also not going to understand the you know subtleties of this position and there are just a couple basic things that white can learn about how to play this position if you just go over a couple games it's very i don't know i think it's very intuitive in any case Okay, so we got that. And uh, what would you like me to? So what? What I'm writing three e four, Eugene. Yeah, if I were to recommend, I would say any aggressive line like three e four. Okay, yeah. And uh, just try to fight for the center. And unless you know, unless you specifically have end game as your goal in many openings, just to improve your end game skills, only right. then you can go into the end game. Fair so enough. in very rare cases, I would recommend that game. Okay. All right, let's move on to the Slav. David, what do you have? Um, the main line. Okay, how, do, how would we describe? Let's, well, so the main we, line let's get a, would be you bring out both knights and black takes on c4. And then you've got kind of a 
branch between A4 or E4, right? Where E4 is, I think, called the Slav Gambit. Let's talk about this. You see, you want to play three knight C3. Uh, you can play three knight F3. You you want me to pick a move order from here? Well, um, I do think it kind sure, of matters a little bit. So then you want to... I usually play knight C3. I'm not worried about the E5 pawn sack, but... And then you're, you're going to allow DC, basically, right? Yeah. And then also E6. So let's just yeah. say in this position... Sorry, there's there's branches on every move. Yeah. But... <laughs> right. So let's just say that this is... Let's call this the traditional main line, right? Maybe we'll just yeah. call it main line. And uh, in this position, black has DC, mm -hmm. E6, and the Chebonenko. And even this weird move might be playable, Bishop F5. But the first three are definitely, I think, the main... Oh, excuse me. And then you have this terrible G6 thing, too. So there's <laughs> right. really a bunch of stuff that black can do in that position. Yeah. Okay, but fair enough. And yeah. uh, I'm going to write that in in just a second, but I'll just stay here to give my take is that um, I think it's much simpler for white to play E3 in this position. Um, the reason that the old timers didn't want to do it, of course, is they wanted to reserve the option of bishop G5. But this way, it just makes things a little easier to play this move order. Um, so I'm going to call I'm going to call David's main line and this one three knight c3 if that's amenable to everybody yeah. okay okay so Kostya, why don't you take it away while i'm writing this in um yeah so personally i have been playing the e3 slav uh for quite some time with knight f3 mm -hmm. um so three I, three knight f3 right mm-hmm mm -hmm. and then four e3 and i found that one flexible i'll put it on the the board you can bring it up whenever um so i found this pretty flexible because then the other knight can go to d2 in a lot of lines um and yeah we're not really giving up the c4 pawn um but i'm not sure if i would recommend this for everyone because i think it does kind of require like a pretty good understanding of a lot of like different positions and like transpositions and yeah, I don't really want like my students studying a bunch of like move orders and, and theory and stuff like that. So I don't know if I would really recommend this one for the masses, but I do like it for for myself personally. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I would go with um, either the uh, main line, as you guys uh, have said, or uh, the exchange, I think is also totally, totally oh, playable. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get into, like, I want to differentiate which what you're exactly you're saying. But one thing I want to say about Knight of Three that may just echo a little bit about what Kosia is saying is that in this position, you play it this way, totally possible, of course. This is, I think, I think Kramnik was the one who really turned this into a big move order. Um, but what you are doing with this is you are being a bishop hound because on bishop mm -hmm. f5 or bishop g4, your advantage is going to be in hunting hunting that poor bishop down and trying to claim that you know the bishop is your light square bishop is an amazing piece and that is something you know i think again not just for uh, uh club players but also for gms a very hard thing to understand the dynamics of that kind of position okay so let me do this and so um Let's see, we have all these things to write in here <laughs> that I got to do. And um, so with that, Eugene, why don't you take it away and I'll start writing this in here.
Yeah, so here's my thought process about this position. So if you play knight c3, you have to know the main line's love, you have to know the Chebarenko, you have to know this e6, which is a huge chapter. Um, so this is the knight c3 move order that we discussed. However, if you play knight f3 move order after knight f6, e3, you still have to know the semi-slav. Now g6 is actually a little bit more popular move. a6 is a big chapter, of course, bishop f5, bishop g4. So I think it's unrealistic for a club player, unless you're extremely ambitious club player who buys opening books and you know, you read opening book for breakfast, as I say, <laughs> it's just too complicated. So my advice is to keep it simple, play queen c2. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever they take on c4, you basically have kind of like Ulf Anderson, like uh, Catalan. Uh -huh. So if you already play the Catalan, that's a no brainer, right? Queen c2, or sometimes people play queen b3, right? So this is one advice. And if, if Catalan is not part of your repertoire, then I would actually recommend what I do. I take, I go for the exchange, and I have a very specific preference for the exchange. I like this very rare bishop g5 move. Hmm. Um, and the reason why I like that is because a lot of club players play e6 and they lock the bishop in because they don't really know this very heavily theoretical knight e4 line. Yeah, this bishop g5 move is very interesting. And um, I just want to say I played the exchange slot for years. I usually played it with the knight f3 move order just because I started for many years playing knight f3 and move one. But this is a little bit more dynamic. And you might people out there might think that the exchange slav is somehow boring or dull. I've never had a dull exchange slav game. It always turns very <laughs> violent. Anyways, yeah, I think oh, I feel like they can be dull, but just like, you know, if if you're looking for like if you're a D4 player, you know, you might be interested in some more technical positions. It's a good line. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and another like cool line play. just to insert here while we're at it, if they do the symmetrical cuz a lot of players just kind of do, "Oh, this is a symmetrical opening, I'm going to repeat." I feel like knight c6, you can lose the game right away. Yeah, that's After true. This line. That's true. Check. I won many games in the setup. Mm -hmm. You take, they go here somewhere. And now the key move is they want to go here. Mm -hmm. So you want to develop not the knight, but the bishop first. So when they go there, you play queen e2, right? And then the knight can simply get mm -hmm. out. You can castle. And they get king stuck and the bishop stuck on the fade. Yeah, terrible. Very unpleasant yeah. position. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think this is definitely very, very good and dangerous. Um, yeah. yeah, that looks that looks really, really bad. <laughs> it just looks funny. <laughs> Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to write in this X Slav here. X Slav. And then, Kostya, while I'm doing this, help us understand which one, <laughs> which one is for which player. Oh, sorry. I wasn't clear. So what, what I was, I guess, hoping to say is that, um, yeah, if you're a more technical player, I would recommend the Exchange Slav. Like, if you just want, like, a quiet mm -hmm. position, play for two results, kind of like classic, you know, like D4 Mm -hmm. kind of style then exchange slav is totally uh fine and um as oh. an added benefit i'll just tell you like i feel like slav players some of them really hate exchange or the exchange variation so if that's becomes your repertoire you know they're really gonna like dread playing you so that's kind of an added um bonus or if you're looking for um like something a bit sharper then i like the uh the main lines okay 
So yeah, I'll just put in three nine. I don't think, there. by the way, that it makes sense to play an opening like the French, the Slav, or the King's Indian if you're like terrified of the exchange variation in any of those openings. Mm, like yeah, to me, to me, there's like a problem if that's your like opening and you, <laughs> the 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 sort of the point of the opening is right like you challenge the c4 pawn you strong point d5 and you're saying white's gonna have to take on d5 to keep me from winning the pawn on c4 or in the french e6 d5 white's gonna have to trade on d5 or play e5 to keep me from taking the pawn on e4 and then when they do trade sort of like conceding that your opening made sense then you're like oh no i don't want this position right <laughs> let me just say as an old guy who's been doing this for a long time i played the french too my experience with the exchange French is it actually is very rare, a dull thing. Usually the white player, even though he played the exchange, has some gumption and will end up doing something weird. And so that's the same thing with even more so with the exchange Slav. I've done a lot of exchange Slav games as white. I've never seen that actually go dull. It always turns yeah. violent. Um, so I think the apprehension of a lot of these players um king's indian exchange variation what a great position very interesting dynamic thing yeah um anyways i don't think they're i think it's a misconception that i carried around for a long time as well i really don't think it's that uh dry or dull or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. okay so now I cheated a little bit here. I have Nimzo and QI, and it should be said that it's up to the white player to decide which of those we get. And right. so let me just bring up a board here and explain what I I'm think my about. answer will help to clarify that. Okay, go ahead and tell us. Yeah. My answer in the first column here on Nimzo is avoid. Wow. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you'd like to play knight f3. So I would say if your opponent plays knight f6 and e6, my guess is, now I play knight c3 because mm -hmm. I play everything, but my guess is that knight c3 is not as good mm. as knight f3 or g3. Mm -hmm. So again, if someone's trying to play the Nimzo against me, um, I would guess that the best line for white is to play knight f3 on move 3. Okay, yeah, that's fine. And... You know, then if they play d5, g3, and play the Catalan, and if they play b6, then we're in the Queen's Indian, which we'll get to in five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So I'm going to just put these three little lines here for you, which is fine. And I'll turn up, go back to this board. Um, the problem with the whole system, every system has its problems, but the system that I'm advocating with three knight c3, uh, the drawback is that the Nimzo can happen. And the Nimzo, I played the Nimzo forever, it just feels like a very equal and interesting position. But it should be understood that when you do play the Nimzo, you are in charge of which variation to play. And as long as you find some position that you find to be rich and interesting that you understand, then that's good enough. And the one I'm going to um, propose here, I guess I'm going to call it the... Th E3 main line is regardless of what he does, we're going to play really a setup with knight f3 and bishop d3. This was the thing mm -hmm. that the old Soviets and Botvinnik used to do. Also, uh, Gligorich was a big master of this kind of setup. Um, and when I was a kid, this is what everybody played against me. Um, one 
thing I just want to make a note of is usually I disagree with Kosi about, you know, which kind of player should play which kind of line. But I definitely think Queen C2 might be the example where I'm like, Kosi, you're right. That is too difficult for almost anybody, actually. <laughs> Here, <laughs> white is going to try to be a bishop hound and lose a loads of tempos like A3, and the position will become very uh, loose for white, and he has to consolidate that bishop advantage. And then, even if he gets that, you know, his dream position, his or her dream position, it will still be very difficult to convert. Okay, so... Let me hide this board for a second. Also, I mean, it, it doesn't seem worth it. Like that many moves. <laughs> That's right. What are you doing? It, it can't be the truth. <laughs> I mean, you can ask Stockfish <laughs> if it if it recommends Queen C2. Oh, and but but I should okay, I, I need to explain a little bit actually why I like the knight c3 move order. And so this goes to our point here. So knight c3, and the thing that I want to share is that here, if they play d5, then we're set up for our Carlsbad variation with c takes d. If they play c5, we're not actually going to talk about the Benoni because that darling opening of mine has fallen into oblivion. But if they do play c5, you get the uh, variation with e4 and f4, which is just very difficult for You get the winning variation. The winning variation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> By the way, the Benoni in my lifetime, you know, has really fallen from grace. And um, it's all about space. It's all about the computer showing that it's really hard to play without the space in the central control. So again, the drawback of my knight c3 is that you get a kind of a complete repertoire for everything, but you have to find something against the Nimzo. And I'm just advocating this for knight c3. Okay, Kostya, what do you got for us? Yeah, so I'm, I'm totally with you, Jesse. Like the queen c2 Nimzo... I found that those positions are tough for white uh, to play. Um, personally, I go back and forth. I'll play some knight c3 these days and some knight f3 on move three. Um, but, but, well, I guess what the main thing I want to say is that, yeah, the main advantage of playing the Nimzo is that you get all these like added benefits. So, okay, of course you avoid the Queen's Indian, but then you get all the best lines against the uh, Benoni mm -hmm. um, and uh, as well as you get the exchange uh, Carlsbad versus with Knight F3, Black gets kind of an improved QGD. Right. Um, so uh, I think for uh, lower levels, I would actually encourage them to play into the Nimzo, let's say like below um, 1800. Uh -huh. So I think all these things are worth it just to simplify the repertoire. Uh, and the line I would recommend is actually playing um, Queen C2, but without A3. But uh -huh. just like queen c2, knight f3, like bishop g5, this kind of thing. I think that's actually very straightforward for white. And it's similar to like, you know, QGD or Rogozin or something like that. Um, and yeah, not getting too hung up on like trying to grab the bishop pair. I'm totally with you guys that those positions just aren't worth it and are like way too subtle. Like Magnus does a really good job in those <laughs> positions. Uh <-huh. laughs> like that's, that's about it. He's the only player I've seen. <laughs> it was successful. Um, and then for higher levels, I would, I would suggest to transition over to, to three knight of three. I think it's kind of like more mm -hmm. flexible, um, 
uh, move. Okay, fair enough. Okay, Eugene, what do you think? Yeah, I would actually, uh, regarding the Nimzo, I would divide the players if you are a more dynamic player or a mm -hmm. more static player. Okay. So, because this is uh, kind of like the Roy Lopez of openings, right? There's so many different ways to play the Nimzo. Yeah. Uh, but I think Jesse kind of hit the key point saying that white gets to pick the setup, not black. Although black does have some flexibility, like the knight c6, c5, b6, sometimes early d6, right? right. But yeah. for example, if you're a very dynamic player who loves to attack, playing queen c2 followed by knight f3 and then like a3, you're really not going to get those beautiful attacks, right? So my recommendation for those players is this very fresh, very sharp move F3 that if you guys may remember recently, Nipomnishi scored the key victory against his rival, Sergei Karyakin, and in the Russian Super Final. And Nipomnishi said that all of that was home prep. And that was, he basically knocked out his main rival. Uh, for the Russian title. So F3 oh. is an improved version of the Semish. All the rave in the 1930s, right? Mm -hmm. the 40s, I think, was this A3 move. Yeah. Because you have to play principal chess. You have to get the bishop pair, right? Then you have to fight for the center. <laughs> Idiots. You know, the play. <laughs> <laughs> Just to wait a couple moves. <laughs> <laughs> but now, these days, you're like, well, why do I have to give him a free tempo? If sooner or later they have to part with the bishop anyways. Mm -hmm. So this F3 is getting more and more popular. And I think black has to play D5. And these positions are quite sharp, like A3. And he can either take or retreat to E7. And then white gets to play E4 later. So if you're a dynamic player, that's my recommendation. If you're more of a static player, uh, then I like this uh, positions with G3 and bishop mm -hmm. G2 you have this very nice long-term uh, pressure. Again, very similar a little bit to the Catalan. And you don't usually mind the dar the double pawns. A lot of the times you get to undouble them later. Yeah. And this you, is a little you, bit underrated, yeah. And that's uh, something that Eugene, actually, you've, you've had some nice games in that, I think I remember. I seeing. have, yeah. I've played this. Um, when I used to play the Nimso, this was my... Uh, primary line of uh, main line. Oh, mm -hmm. and uh, one other line I want to add for dynamic players is this sort of overly analyzed, overly theoretical move E4. Mm -hmm. And ex extremely sharp, extremely theoretical. A lot of the times, white just kind of plays E5 and goes for the throat. Uh, Black's queen a lot of the times ends up on H4, and positions are really crazy. Absolutely, yeah. I think the line goes like this, this, and the knight e4. Well, right, and so many different things that black can do there too, not mm -hmm. just d5. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that. So my recommendations are based if you're a dynamic player or a static player. Okay, that's that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Gary Gary used to play knight f3 on move four for a long time, and in some of the lines, then play g3 on move five. Right? Yep, g3. Now, I think it's called the, the Romanian setup, the but Romanian, he beat. Yeah. Uh, I think Karpov in their key, one of their key matches uh, with the G3 setup. Yeah. 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 Their games usually started knight f3, and then Karpov would play, I think, uh, c5, and then Gary would play g3 there. Yep. Right. Okay, good. Okay, let's move on. We'll talk now about the Queen's Indian. And since David 
<laughs> does not want, wants to play three knight f3. He has to put up with the queen's Indian, and we're yep. going to have him show us it here. I'll set it up here. So knight f3, b6. Yeah. So um, I have no idea what you should do against the queen's Indian. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I told you to avoid the nimzo, and then good luck. Um, against the Queen's Indian, um, I like to play the uh, G3, um, Bishop G2 lines. So let's. How about we call that main line? I feel like that. Yeah, that's call the, main the main line. line. Yeah. All right. I think when line. when Jesse at the top of the show said maybe you've got 1989 Kasparov uh -huh. uh, main lines, he was thinking maybe of me partly. Yeah. Because a lot of my lines you just call the main line. And there were a lot of really amazing games by Alpha Zero in its match against Stockfish in mm -hmm. one of the early uh, Stockfish versions, like Stockfish 8, I think. There were some remarkable yeah. games. Yeah, and so I get to, with three knights e3, I'm avoiding the Queen's Indian altogether. I've played, by the way, the Nimzo and the Queen. Actually, was, of all my life, the only openings I've played forever have been the Nimzo and the Queen's Indian. So. Uh, <laughs> and and so I don't even have a. I'll just say if you want to play th three knight f three, uh, there's kind of like against the Nimzo, you do have a wide variety of interesting uh, setups you can play. They're all going to be fundamentally equal, but you know, you can choose it. You can choose the flavor that you would like to play. Okay, Kostya. Um. Yeah, so I'll definitely go with the, the main line against mm -hmm. the Queen's Indian, uh, the G3 lines. Um, in case anyone is uh, curious, <laughs> um, against uh, the Bishop A6, like kind of theoretical stuff, I, I like the simple move B3. Although there's other options there as well, like the Queen C2 pawn sack lines are um, uh -huh. yeah, really interesting as well. So you have this option and then this one. And you like the B3. Yeah, here I would probably go with b3 myself just because I feel like, uh, I mean, it's a very real pawn sacrifice after queen c2, and I don't love having to like memorize a bunch of theory uh, to get like an equal position <laughs> where I have compensation. Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's not quite enough upside here uh, if black knows what they're doing. But at like lower levels, I think there's definitely a lot of danger here. So this, this one could be uh, worth studying. Oh yeah, queen c2 is definitely a, a good move. Um, and I just say for the black players listening that if you're playing this, you can play both bishop a6 and bishop e7. They're both beautiful moves. <laughs> They're both yeah. beautiful moves, you know. Okay, good. Let's go. Um, but I, I want to yeah. mention as mm -hmm. well because we didn't really we don't really have Benoni on our list, but yeah. people might be wondering. So if you play the uh, Nimzo move order then yeah you get access to all these fantastic lines the one i would recommend personally uh is the one with e4 and uh, knight g2 oh uh -huh. um oh that's an old line yeah i'm a big fan of this one i think it's like really easy for white to play um based on putting the knight on g3 and then discouraging black from being able to play f5 um and then i guess one of the key ideas here is that when black goes like h5 to harass the knight white usually plants this bishop on on g5 so i've played this one personally like a million times and i really i really like these positions it also kind of um syncs up nicely if you're a uh samish player in the king's indian because you can play f3 in these positions and basically it's like a direct transposition so for a while i was playing the samish king's indian and i would play this line against the benoni and it would really work out uh quite nicely 
Um, but if you are a Knight of Three player and you're faced with the Benoni, you got to do something else, unfortunately. Um, I remember when the uh, Bishop F4 lines were so popular. Yeah. They were like more popular than Bitcoin. It was like everyone was studying these lines. It was crazy. Um, I don't know where they stand right now, but these lines have always made sense to me. I think white is pretty comfortable here. Um, but I also have a soft spot for knight d2. I feel like these lines are kind of always interesting for white to play um, with mm-hmm. this kind of grip on the light squares with a4 and, and knight c4 coming. So these are these are totally um, playable too. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's all hell. <laughs> okay (laughs) so all right eugene what do you say to the queen's indian yeah i would probably uh again depends on how ambitious you are i would say if you're super ambitious uh so again let me go through this move order then the main line is absolutely the way to go and for reference obviously alpha zero games and uh Larry Kaufman, I think, covers this in uh, his earlier repertoire. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely lots of material on that. Um, but also, I want to point out that if you want something different, Petrosian system has a lot of poison, and I feel like it's an underrated weapon. Yeah. Uh, Kasparov used it in the 80s with almost, what, like close to 100% success rate against the best of the best. And the idea is you're simply going to squeeze, win all the space, and make black commit to early d5 and try to uh, try to get a lot of counterplay. Yeah. And, you know, when I first envisioned this show, I was when, when we were going to do recommendations for white intuitively, I just thought to myself, you know, uh, repertoire Fisher 1971 or Kasparov 1989. And that would have been part yeah. of this A3 move. Uh, that it's it's called the Petrosian system, but really Kasparov was the one who, let's say, reinvented the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I think Kasparov's games from the 80s definitely stand out, although Petrosian did play it a bunch of times with uh, excellent success rate too. And uh, uh, Again, th- this system is a little bit tougher to play for club players because the center structure is, is not defined yet, so it's going to be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, and um, there are some basic ideas, especially if you're an attacking player. A lot of times you'll get uh, some attacking uh, variations coming in later. Uh, Anand also played some nice games. A lot of people played the system a lot, some nice games. Okay, oh, now the big controversial. Why not controversial? (laughs) David, what do you say against the King's Indian defense? And what is your opinion of this beautiful opening? The King's Indian defense is kind of dubious for black. Um, <laughs> it's a lower tier, lower tier defense to D4 for sure. Um, oh, those are fighting words. Do you see how he said that so, you know, calmly? Those fighting words so calmly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot of systems that are good for white. Um Yeah, I don't know any system for white that I can get equality against for black. Um, I have mainly played the Gligorich, or I've most often played the Gligorich, so it's what I know best, and I'm pretty Uh confident that it's very good for white. 
Um, I think the exchange variation also is probably pretty pleasant for white. Uh huh. Uh, I mean, I think all the lines are good for white, <laughs> but but I guess if I had to like guess which one is the best of the best, uh huh, I would guess the exchange variation. Uh, interesting. Look at that. Hear wow. that, Costa? <laughs> Hear that I think I think if you let some really really good openings, uh, really good like engines run on it, like like however they came up with Knight F three D three against the Caro. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll play the exchange variation. But you were saying that if you play the King's Indian, you have no right to fear the exchange. Yes, I'm saying if you play the King's Indian, somebody exchanges, you're like, oh, what? What's this position? Like, no, I mean, you picked the wrong opening. Like, you should expect that kind of stuff. That's like, like the point of your opening is you're challenging the D4 pawn, right? And you're saying that you've got enough pressure on D4 to make white resolve the center. So when they resolve the center, you can't be like, huh, what's this? You're lame trying to trade queens. I mean, they're just trying to say that your bishop on G7's not that good. And hmm. Okay, really interesting. Um, well, we definitely have a disagreement. Um, and let's say, um, I, I think that King's Indian is a great opening for whatever level of player you are. And I don't have anything amazing against it either. And let me just talk a little bit. Uh, one thing that's interesting to me in hindsight is just that the, the King's Indian has always had kind of a funny reputation since the big, you know, be, well before computers because of the space problem. And what's interesting to me now with the advent of computers is that at first when you turn them on for the most part they're in any position they like they like space more than we used to do and they like bishops more than we used to do but with the king's indian once you you leave it on long enough and the attacking potential for black with these pawns pointing towards the king side uh, let me turn on this board pointing towards the king side it it's very hard to deal with it and on a both on a practical level and a theoretical level very hard to put down by the way eugene plays knight a6 uh for years maybe still does instead of e5 and that's a similar setup that maybe we'll even talk about a little bit but i'm just trying to say that to me as just is an interesting thing that's happened in our lifetime is that the king's indian has not been put out of business and you would think that with the computer's love for space that maybe uh, it would. Okay, I'm going to share what I think is a good system. I, uh, one thing actually with the exchange that's interesting is uh, years ago, years and years ago, I turned it, the computer on and it was just like white is clearly better with the exchange. And then it, of course, it changes its mind. So I'm going to check Stockfish 12 a little later to see what it thinks. <laughs> In any case, um, I think the best or a very nice variation that's kind of simple to understand goes like this. Knight e1, knight d7, bishop e3, f5, f3, f4, bishop f2, g5, rook c1, and there's a variety of things that he can do, but um, for example, knight g6, c5. Knight c5, b4. And after this move, there's a couple of moves. You can play either knight d3 or a3. 
And um, I don't know if this has a, a name. I guess to my mind, I would call it the Wesley So system, just because Wesley's mm-hmm. played this a number of times well. Um, so yeah, I guess According I'm going to chess dot com. It's called the Kozel Gambit. Uh, it's really gonna... interesting because <laughs> Kozel is like a he's a King's Indian player. He I didn't think himself. of himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to call it the So system. Yeah, that makes sense. I I don't I guess what we're saying then is that it was around because Kozel is an ancient dude. It's been around for a while. It didn't really come to my attention until So started doing. It. So I'm going to give him the honor with the name yeah. chess.com and its names by the way oh my god it's it's really changed a lot of names <laughs> it's made up a lot of <laughs> names too okay Kosa, you guys know we have by the way we have two king's indian experts coming up so i'm really interested to see what they're going to say about how to play against it. by the way the so system i would say uh it's not like blacks in big trouble he you know there's all kinds of attack and counterattack that's still going to happen in this uh, in this position, and if anything, I just like giving up the pawn so that the knight on a six means that if I get mated, I'll get mated a little later in the game instead of immediately. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kostya, what do you got? Yeah, so I just want to say like I'm really happy hearing you guys like talk about the Kings Indian like this because it makes me feel like um, one of those directors for like those horror movies, like the hostile movies, when uh-huh. these articles come out like, oh, this is the most disturbing movie of all time. How could anyone watch this? And the directors are like, yes. <laughs> like, like, please. Like, oh yeah, I would love for people to go into these positions like all the time against me as a Kings Indian player. This is like, uh, I guess, you know, it kind of comes back to why the exchange systems are annoying is because like you don't get your like pet structures that you really, really um, want. Um, so I don't know. Kings Indian is a really tough one because like, I think a lot of it just depends on on the players uh, at hand. I think what happens often is like the D4 player is uh, avoiding complications in the Kings Indian and not willing to kind of like punish and and really put pressure. And then as a result, the counterattack comes a little bit too quickly. And then, uh, yeah, Black ends up doing, I think, really well uh, in practice. Certainly as a D4 player myself, I struggled against the Kings Indian um, quite a bit, especially going into like these main lines mm-hmm. where I was trying to like memorize a lot of moves of theory and like, yeah, Stockfish or, you know, Ripka back then was giving me 0. 0.8. Nowadays, uh-huh. it's like 1.5 you get <laughs> back then. <laughs> you got like 0. 0.8. And I was like, oh, man, how could anyone do this against me? And then I would like resign in 25 moves. Um, so <laughs> my results improved when, number one, I started playing the Kings Indian myself. So I kind of got a better understanding of what I, I don't want to see as a Kings Indian player. Um, but what I would recommend is either one of the... Um, let's call them like the king side counterattacking systems. So mm. F3, if you're kind of like, let's say 1800 or below, maybe 2000 and below. Uh-huh. Um, I like these positions because you basically, um, you just play Yugoslav attack. Going back to last week, you go bishop e3, queen d2, mm-hmm. castle queen side, bishop h6. I think at lower levels, this is like really annoying um, for most Kings Indian players. Students that I've had to play the Kings Indian, they usually struggle against this stuff until they get like some good experience. Um, because even if white just kind of plays, you know, superficially like h4, h5 and g4, a lot of times they can just still get a really uh, potent attack. Um, personally, I'm a big fan of playing f3 and knight ge2 because uh, I like keeping the bishop flexible like in those Benoni lines. Um, it's important for me that 
uh, white can put the bishop on g5 in one tempo rather than committing it to, to e3. Uh, but that's just kind of my personal preference. There's lots of different ways of playing these positions. If you want something that's a little bit kind of, yeah, you're not going all out for the queen or kingside attack and like these double edge positions, you can play knight e2 and I think play for a very like simple and stable edge. Um, and I also want to give a shout out to the h3 system. Uh, I did a video for this on our YouTube channel, right. um, specifically with playing h3 and bishop e3. I think this is a really dangerous system nowadays, but I think you really have to be an experienced d4 player. So I wouldn't recommend this to to just anyone, but if you're like 2000 and up and you watch my video, obviously, and, and look at the ideas, then I think this is a really dangerous one, especially if they go into kind of like these typical King's Indian structures where you can close down the center and then play g4 and importantly bring this knight um, to g3 rather than on f3. So that's kind of the nuance with this h3 and, and bishop e3 line. So this one is also um, super tricky. So for me, you can put four f3 slash, yeah, h3, I think okay. um, totally reasonable. And as a last tidbit, if you're um, struggling against the Grunfeld and you want something sharp, you can play f3 in this position and then combine that with um, the Samish Kings Indian and you kind of get like a two for one deal here. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you guys, I created this show just so that Eugene would have to tell us what we should be playing against the Kings Indian. <laughs> All right, well, Eugene. Well, I am very opinionated about this topic, uh -huh. so here we go. Uh -huh. so first of all, <laughs> first of all, if you're a club player, right, probably under 2000, and if you go into one of those Mardell plot variations uh -huh. uh, or the so variation, any variation where you allow black to have this, as Jesse likes to say, Death Star uh -huh, attack. That's a death Star, yeah. Right here. Like, if you allow that, to me, that's game over. <laughs> because you take Wesley So against Nakamura game, uh -huh, Wesley So got crushed. Yeah. Checkmate. Yeah. And the guy is top what? Top five, top three in the world, Wesley So. So, how could mere mortals understand the subtleties if Wesley So gets crushed by Hikaru? <laughs> So I would be scared to be white. Like, no matter how much memorization I will do here, I see this Death Star coming toward me. Uh -huh. And with this Knight coming in, and like, I could be winning like a pawn, Knight, Rook on the other side of the board, and I'm going to get checkmated. No good. <laughs> so I would recommend avoid yeah. this. <laughs> avoid this King G, King of G1 and, uh -huh. and this Death Star by any means necessary. Yeah. So do what Costa does, play H3. Play the Averbach, Bishop E2, G4, play F3, the Semish, but don't don't allow any of this. So, <laughs> Actually, I just want to add, um, the, uh, the Fianchetto is also a very safe system for white if you're looking for something really simple and solid, actually. Fianchetto is exactly. really yeah, that's yeah. a That's a very positional, especially if you're loft positional chess with the Bishop on G2, mm -hmm. that's a relatively easy one to not get mated. That's great. Okay, so you want me to write like H? How about I write H three in there for you there? Yeah, or you can just say avoid. <laughs> avoid it. Just avoid it. Avoid the Death Star. <laughs> avoid the Death Star. <laughs> That's pretty much any system. And then uh, the Gligorich system is actually very clever. I'll show you why it yeah. avoids the Death Star. Uh, it's this Bishop E three move. Yeah. Because people don't realize that the insertion of bishop e3 before you commit the king mm -hmm. is a huge improvement. For example, yeah. knight c6, d5, knight e7, knight d2, right? And then black just basically plays the same exact way, knight d7 or knight e8. 
this is a very serious positional problem for Black because the king, right, is not committed to g1. Yeah. So, for example, let's say I play b4. You play something like this. I'm going to go here. You're going to go there. I'm going to go there. And you're just going to continue, like, actually, I, I played around with the Gligorich system against people like 22, 2300s. And they just went for this uh, Death Star against me, and I laughed in their face. And my king can castle the other way. <laughs> yeah. Play for this and, and just domination with knights. I've won a million games like this too, Eugene. That's why my sort of secondary recommendation is between the exchange and the Gligorich. Yep. And I play queen c2 before b4. So uh, you want to avoid uh, something? Well, there's one more move for them to do their f5, f4 stuff. And I, if I'm going <laughs> to castle queens, I don't need to play right. b4, right? Yeah. So people play this f5, f4 thing against me, and then I play g4 in that position after they've mm -hmm. played f4. Mm -hmm. And in yeah. that position, if they don't take en passant, then you could castle kingside later, and the kingside will be locked. And if they exactly. do take en passant, then <laughs> you just destroy their king. So. so I think people don't understand. And no engine is going to tell you that in King's Indian. The weakest point of White's position is his king. Yeah. With the king on g1, that's your weakest point. And the engine mm -hmm. doesn't get that because engine doesn't see any maiden attack 20, 30 moves in advance, right? Right. I mean, yeah. there's a horizon effect. And when you have strong engines playing in these tournaments, you rarely see Black actually uh, losing in the King's Indian. Like, for example, if you have like Stockfish 12 or Leela take Black in these uh, Death Star positions, Usually against weaker engines, they actually win a lot of games with some amazing attack, usually with sacrifice. It's just like Nakamura against Wesley. So so this approach I would not recommend for White. Two castle early, kingside. Uh, any any bishop e3 move, even here, like let's say you already committed the king, I don't recommend to lock things up with d5. Like the bayonet attack is very popular at the grandmaster level, still too complex for club players. Uh, I would just probably recommend something simple like bishop e3 here. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think what we have to address is the trauma that even <laughs> Eugene feels about. Some You can tell at some point in his career he got mated. And I think one thing that's interesting about the King's Indian is, at least I'll just speak for myself, is that I've lost a lot of games with all kinds of openings. But the ones that I really remember is when someone came and spanked my king in the King's Indian, and it was so traumatic and it stuck with me so long that the fear is like really deep, you know, it's really deep. And yeah. the thing that's, you know, great about the King's Indian is the engine won't help you. So, you know, right, whatever system you do to realize that the engine isn't going to be great, it'll see a space advantage. But if you leave it sitting long enough in these positions and go down the main lines, it'll start saying, Oh, man, oh, man, it's not so easy. The uh, the biggest victim is uh, Boris Averick, you know, growing up with Smirin. Can you imagine just getting <laughs> made in <laughs> right. game? After. I think he writes that in his books, actually. That's why he picked up like the Fianchetto systems. He's right. just tired right. of Getting I played the Fianchetto system. I still got like attacked on the king side. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. They figured it out. You know. It's... I think not castling <laughs> is really the best. I think, as Eugene says, like if you don't put your king on G1, that's the best way to avoid getting checkmated on G1. Mm -hmm. That's true. So I think that's also where the exchange system comes in because a lot of black players are like, oh man, I wish I have this beautiful Death Star attack. Now I have to play some boring endgame, and obviously. You know, at the grandmaster level, the exchange is analyzed to a draw. But mm. at a club layer, the exchange, 
exchange is such a rare guest that white can actually score a lot of wins. I think uh, Jesse won a lot of games in the exchange. Well, yeah, and well, that right. wasn't quite the club player level. And you know, I'll say about the exchange, it's it's very dynamic. It's it's it is really not dull. In fact, I guess what I would the way I would characterize it is, for example, I think Black's best move here is c6, is that White has actually sacrificed a lot of his structure because he is doing double time on d5 and Black gets to control both squares. But in compensation for that, he has a development advantage. So it's a very dynamic imbalance that happens that you know you can learn how to play well. And Black should be just happy in the sense that if he survives, if this development advantage goes away, then Black will simply be better. So it's, it's definitely not some dull symmetrical thing that happens here. And I'll say, when I decided to do this, it was definitely psychological, and it definitely helped me become a GM, is that I just knew that the Kings Indian players wouldn't like it. That was the main thing. I knew they wouldn't like it. So that was part of it. And I liked playing end games yeah. as well. Yeah. And that's the segue for my approach to the King's Indian because I hate it so much. Uh-huh. That's where my knight a6 comes in. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So now after castle, after e5, this end game is actually not as bad. Oh, right. right. Because mm-hmm. now the knight is going to come in. I'm still going to play c6. And it's unclear whether you want the king here or on e1 or sometimes even castle queenside. Right. So this sort of makes my life a little bit easier as a black player. Mm-hmm. And that's why I face a lot of people who play after castles e5. They play d5, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. They play bishop e3, I'm happy. And if they take, I'm happy. So that's where my knight a6 comes in. Right. And Eugene, I should just note, has been playing this knight a6 thing forever, at least 20 Before some years. Before it got popular. Yeah. 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 I beat Nakamura with this system. Uh, mm-hmm. I played a lot of really interesting games with this system. I feel like nowadays top GMs are using Knight A6 just to kind of get a complex game or in a must-win situation they play Knight A6 because mm-hmm. it's a little bit less studied with the Knight C6, but it still has the same venom. Right. You played yeah. Knight A6 against me. I'd never even seen it before. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, in the world <laughs> okay. Good. So let's move on to the Grunfeld. I was so happy to find my umlaut. I was never able to do the umlaut for ages, and I finally got the umlaut in there. Okay, David, what do you suggest? Nice. Exchange. Exchange. Okay. Yeah. So when you say exchange, do we mean kind of like the main line? Is that what we're talking about? Super main line. Super main line. That's You can call it main line or exchange. Yeah. Okay. Good. And... Why don't we just why don't you just share a little bit with us here? Let me turn on. Okay. The, uh, um. Well. So, knight f six, c four, g six, knight c three, d five. Yeah, I mean, basically, like all my life, I thought that this opening was bad for black, mm-hmm. and that you know white could just you know trade and then. I liked that you could trade on c3 with your pawn and bring another pawn towards the center. You know, there's a line where white plays bishop d2 in order to take back on c3 with a bishop or a pawn, right? right it's right. like, why would you do that? You could, you could have just taken with a pawn towards the center. Uh-huh. Uh, it took me a long time to have any idea what, what this was about for black. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know any major alternatives for white that I that I like. I mean, I don't know enough about like the bishop f4 system or the queen b3 system, or mm -hmm. I don't like the bishop g5 system. Right. Um, so I, I don't have too many alternatives to offer for white. What I, I have heard that f3 on move three could be a very strong move for white from some, you know, strong players, but I don't, I don't really know myself and I don't play F3 systems against the King's Indian defense. Um, so against the King's Indian, the same ish is like the line I know absolutely the least. So it's hard to recommend F3 against the Grunfeld without really knowing anything about it, but there's a good chance that F3 is really good based on people much better than me recommending it. But if you go this route here, mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, I, I figured out that black does have counterplay against D4 and they do have a variety of systems. And I found out that black doesn't even need to play the forcing lines. They don't have to play, you know, C5, Knight C6, Bishop G4, Queen A5 kind of moves. They can right. also play it slower and still have a shot in the game. You know, there's lines where they just played B6 and Queen C7 and right. Yeah. Just, mm -hmm. just play the position, let it, let it go for a while. Um, whereas my earlier, instincts also said like if someone has a center you have to like contest it right you can't like the longer you let the thing fester the worse it gets the less <laughs> chance you have to eventually counter it but I, I mean but i still think i mean white's play looks unimpeachable through here right and then you bring out your knight and your bishops um and uh there's a line with bishop e3 which is interesting uh, i've always played knight f3 rook b1 a lot and recently I saw a variation that's very similar in spirit to my variation, which was H3. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with normal, I think like Knight F3, C5 and castle being played, um, H3 for white. I am on chess.com. <laughs> uh, I just, I just never got invited to the board. No, I don't, um, I'm not seeing you, but yep. Okay. Um, Got to go to live chess, David. That's the thing. Got to go to live chess. <laughs> You're trying to tech support me for chess.com, Jesse? I thought that was my joke. Everybody, David helped start chess.com, so it's a joke of mine if I tell Got to go to live chess, man. Are you actually <laughs> logged in? <laughs> Have you turned on your computer? Are you sure? <laughs> um, but but anyway, I saw recently a game, uh, Dubov against Nepomniachi, which... Uh, the the fellow senses probably have already seen and if you guys haven't seen it it's because if other people in chat haven't seen it it's because they haven't been watching my stream recently because i looked at it one day on stream um but he played it basically with knight f3 bishop e2 and h3 instead of rook b1 mm. and it looked very challenging as well for black so right yeah h3 okay <laughs> and um yeah, the point, I mean, like the whole rook b1 thing was made so that you could answer like knight c6 moves with d5 without hanging your rook. Um, and then against rook b1, basically black took up playing queen a5 check, queen takes a2 for a while as the main mm -hmm. line. So now he plays it, he's leaving his a2 pawn defended by the rook um by playing h3 mm -hmm. and he's still preventing bishop g4 which is sort of one extra piece of pressure against d4 is the bishop coming to g4 along right. with the knight on c6 
Um, and then he's just willing to sack the rook on a one in, in some line. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it looks like a cool idea to investigate as well. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So I'll just say, I think the Grunfeld is a great, uh, opening and I was surprised that when we had our last discussion that. Our friends over here, Kostya and Eugene, said it was too complicated for the club player. I think it's mostly pretty basic. And like David said, you don't have to go down heavy theoretical roads. You can always do the B6, Knight C6 stuff. Um, and I have had a very hard time throughout my career playing against this. It hasn't never traumatized me like the King's Indian has. but And I probably have a better record against the King's Indian than this. But I don't have anything special. And what I think me and Kosti are going to do sometime is we're going to really study this uh, bishop e3 move. Sometimes you can play, I think you can play knight mm -hmm. f3 and it will transpose to mm -hmm. this kind of thing. But it's a very uh, minimalistic setup that often will go into an endgame with that c5, cd, uh, cd, cd, queen a5 stuff and queen d2. And Carlson has played it a bunch, but it is... Uh, I spent some time with it. It is nothing special. It is nothing special. But that's all I got. That's all I got against the Grun, and I will call that uh, seven bishop e3, unless somebody has a better name for that guy. Yeah, I think uh, Kramnik popularized Kramnik. this. Kramnik system. Okay, let's call it the Kramnik system. Kramnik is responsible for so many openings that we've been talking about just oh yeah people today. don't understand how yeah you know in the last 20 years kramnik probably single-handedly changed half a dozen openings if not more that's right yeah yeah like oh. an illuminati <laughs> <laughs> all right kostya what do you got um yeah i'll go with the same actually i'm i'm a fan of the knight of three bishop e3 stuff uh-huh um i think uh, the lines are pretty straightforward, kind of like David was saying, you know, white's pretty happy if you just get the center. So it almost doesn't even matter which positions you play. You can go like bishop c4 and knight e2 as well. I think those are certainly very playable. Um, but uh, yeah, lately Magnus's games were really interesting in, in this one against like MVL and Mamadyarov and Grischuk. So I would encourage folks to check out those games. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, Grinfeld is definitely a really tough, tough nut to crack, but you can get positions that you feel like as a D4 player are pretty uh, comfortable and give you a chance to fight for some space and, and some initiative. If you can use the space advantage, you can do, I think, really well against the Grunfeld. So certainly a lot of room there. It's not something like I'm much more bothered by like the Slav where it's really hard to even get uh, an illusion of an advantage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Eugene, what do you think about the Grunfeld? Yeah, Grunfeld is a, one of those funny openings that all the top players in the world say you cannot refute it. It's like so solid, right? That these days there's no one main line against the Grunfeld. Like for a long time, Bishop C4, Knight E2 mm -hmm. has been the main main line, right? And then everyone just stopped playing that because Black found equality in every single variation there. <laughs> yeah. And then Knight of Three, Rook B1 became the main thing until like MVL and others analyzed it out to a draw. And then now Alpha Zero 
with this early h4 and pretty much all of these both bishop c4 knight e2 and the knight f3 bishop e3 this h4 mm. has been creating more and more headache for black players and magnus is the first true student of alpha zero who took those games and really crushed a lot of players with this yeah pretty much h4 in many different positions as a matter <laughs> of fact there's even in this position let me show you guys uh going all the way back here Guess what? H4 is actually a pretty serious weapon. <laughs> right. Yeah. And a lot of Grunfeld players hate these sort of early H4 sidelines because it, it looks so ridiculous, but it's so strong that there is no kind of clear cut. So a lot of players will simply play C6. Even, I mean, even before this, Gristrick played a couple of times, played yeah. H4 and move three. <laughs> So H4 is not completely crazy and alpha zero kind of shows it. So I would say if you're an ambitious player and you don't mind studying theory, pretty much any games by, you know, Magnus and others where there's H4 played, study those. Posted, did you just say that H4 could be played before knight C3 D5? Yeah, Gristrick played it several times, including in a candidates game. <laughs> <laughs> like he, he played D4 C4. And then without ever moving a single piece, then he started moving the H-pawn. Yeah, he did this a number of times against MVL. I think out of spite. I, I feel like I remember him saying like he was going to do it because he worked so hard on it. Like He was just going to do it until he won one game, and then he would stop. <laughs> wow. Uh, I feel like Magnus played this one like in Blitz or something. I don't think yeah. I saw him play in a serious game. Yeah, this is yeah. Um, a real this sign of the time. Right modern chess. Yeah, modern chess. When me and Eugene were kids, this was not okay. You would not. Not okay at all. They Our wouldn't... coach would probably hit us. <laughs> probably be. Yeah, that was back when you were allowed to hit your students, yeah. too. <laughs> that was not that, a pleasant that tells you the age, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I think H4 is really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to even consider something. I'm, I'm so desperate. I'm willing to consider something like that myself. Okay, well now we come to the only open the only opening on this list that I consider kind of dubious, but just in terms of how often it's played, I figured it had to be on the list. You know, I had to make it onto the list. So David, what do you what do you got for us against the Dutch? Oh god. I lost like six games in a row last night with the Dutch as yeah. black. <laughs> which has me feeling like every move for white is good against it. <laughs> um I got just absolutely pummeled. Um, I think I lost to the Staunton Gambit. Uh -huh. I lost to really badly to some dude running his H pawn against the Leningrad. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, this game was so brutal. Um, it was some real Alpha Zero stuff. Um, he basically played like H four, H five. I played H six, and then I played G five. And then he just played knight takes g5 and pushed his h pawn. It was just oh, complete, wow. completely over. He played a delayed Staunton Gambit as well, like once once he did all that. Oh, man. Um, but me personally, um, I've played knight c3 on move two against the Dutch mm -hmm. and um, really enjoyed the positions. I'm... I, I'm really sensitive about blocking the C pawn. <laughs> really sensitive about it. Uh huh. Rarely good. Rarely good in D4 openings. Um, but as far as I can tell, Black doesn't really have any great response to White just wanting to play E4 here. And uh, you know, White can combine this move with different 
uh, options on the next three move uh, on the next move between three sort of aggressive options: Bishop G5, E4, and G4. Mm-hmm. Um, all of which are probably fine on move two for White as well. But I think Knight C3 is like a very pristine developing move after which you can pick which of those three things is best depending on Black's response. So, I. My guess is that this is actually the best move for white here. That's just my best guess. Okay. Um, and it might be like a like a bias from having played it. But <laughs> all right. And um my system is can have some similarities with two knight c three. Um and I did this a video on this move, two bishop g five on our chess dojo site that you can check out. <clears throat> and basically it's it's a very simple idea and black has to first ask himself if he wants to play knight f6 and even if whether he does or he doesn't it's generally going to be a setup with e3 knight c3 and then we'll see how we want to put the pieces depending on how black does but we can wait on this guy we can wait on this guy queen can sometimes come here king often goes long very simple system and um it's cool that i can just uh, you know, tell everybody to go watch the video. But I think the, of all the openings we're talking about here, th- this is the only one where I'm like, this is something like a, this is a real, this is a real advantage as opposed to just kind of a fun and interesting position for white. Mm-hmm. Okay. So C- the Dutch for you is a tier below all the other defenses we've talked about. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Dutch is terrible. <laughs> but I I know I know you must have a soft spot because you have you like to play the other terrible opening which is the Dutch reversed which is called the King's Gambit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different opening. The Dutch reversed would be the bird, no? Yeah, but the bird you could play f4 e5 and then you're going to be you should probably play e4 in that position. I take on e5 in that position. Oh god! So. Oh god! Oh god! Oh god! But um, <laughs> but no, I'm not I'm not a big fan of 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 these openings, but I, I mean, they're playable. Well, (laughs) the Dutch is really pushing it. The Dutch is pushing it. Yeah. The bird, the bird doesn't lose. The bird doesn't lose by force. Okay. And I'll put in two bishop g5. Okay. Kostya, what do you think? You probably have some ideas against the Dutch. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't mind bishop g5. I think it's, it's kind of a fun line. Um, I personally would, uh, go for and recommend, lines with just two g3 mm. and uh waiting to develop the knight until black uh chooses their setup so again something like the leningrad i would go for c4 and then at this point I, i'm fine with knight f3 and i would go for these setups with knight c3 uh-huh. and yeah in general i just feel like the dutch isn't just the healthiest of openings because in the long run you, you're just always worried about this diagonal and like yeah the position opens up later the king is always weak on the light squares you can definitely make it work you know if you're like a really you just have to be the right kind of player you know like it's like the benoni in a sense you just really have to have the right temperament for it if you're going to go for this um as black uh, obviously it can work for a lot of players like nakamura or simon williams like this kind of player mm-hmm. but uh yeah not for everyone and um as Petrosian famously said, like, if your opponent is going to play the Dutch, uh, don't stop them, which I'm totally, <laughs> totally in favor of. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess the one uh, point where this nuance, I think, is really important in terms of the move order is if they go for the stone wall, which is like, okay, pretty solid line. 
um, then I'm a fan of, let's say, queen c2 here, and then developing this knight over to h3 and f4. I think this is the one spot where I like to take advantage of uh, the option to go knight h3. Right. Okay. Also, another thing I should mention about the Dutch is we haven't been talking too much about the London and everything, but the bishop f4 against f5, surprisingly also very fatal to the Dutch. <laughs> really hard for them to deal with that simple move. And mm -hmm. that's kind of similar to, I just thought of that now with knight h3, because if they do bishop d6 in this system, you know, at least the old timers would play knight h3 and then bishop f4 there. Mm. Okay. So, Eugene, what do you think? Yeah, I would probably say that, you know, if you're a very ambitious chess player who loves to learn openings, then you can take the Kostya's approach and learn the main lines. But mm -hmm. honestly speaking, do, how often do you face the Dutch? Probably one of, out of all the openings we've listed, probably the least, right? Oh, I don't know. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, no, I think you get a Dutch a lot. I've, I've, yeah, I would say, um, well, I'll let, I, I would say, I, I put it on this list because I feel like it's just common. A lot of people are doing it. Maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. But anyways, my main recommendation mm -hmm. is actually here, I would agree with Jesse, is move to Bishop G5. Mm -hmm. um, there was a period that I think one of my students just wanted a quick line against uh, the Dutch. Right. And I used, uh, I think already Leela just came out, which is quite like the Alpha Zero's little little sister. And Leela liked this Bishop G5, and I analyzed it out. I actually found advantage for white in almost every line. And it was relatively easy to learn. So I would say if you want a quick fix solution and a really solid you know, system that you can play against anyone, I would say Bishop G5 is rather easy to learn. Mm -hmm, and uh, probably if you play D4, they can play E6 sometimes too, right? And kind of that's right. a slightly different Dutch. Mm -hmm. Then you have to know what to do against various sort of different move orders. In that case, yeah, you would have to have a better, better setup. But I like the G3 lines a lot, so... I would go between the bishop g5 or the g3 line. And I'll just mention, if you are a London player or just any player, maybe you like bishop g5 on move two. e6 is pretty rare, but bishop f4, pretty good. <laughs> pretty yeah, good move pretty good there. Move, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, great. And why don't we go back? We'll go back to the other scene here so people can see our lovely faces once again. And yeah, I really enjoyed that. And I think, you know... Um, if people have more suggestions about things they'd like us to cover, uh, you know, you can write that in the Vox and that would be fun for us to cover. Also, uh, Kostya has a Patreon group where they can ask him questions and he does an opening show there as well. You can ask him some questions. And That's right. Once a month we do an opening live where people send in opening questions and then those get put up on YouTube. Um, I think people were wondering real quick about the Benko guys, if we mm. can just give like a one word if we can have a one-word recommendation, I'll go with uh, Queen C2. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Yeah, Queen C2. I like it. Yeah. Don't I'll take say it. Don't, I'll say don't take it. Don't take it. Yeah, don't take don't it. Don't take it. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, also, I want to give a shout out to Eugene's site, Chess Openings Explained. He's got uh, a lot of opening knowledge banked in there over the years as well. Okay, well, let's wrap it up there, and we'll do another show, Dojo Talks, talking about all kinds of stuff once a week, usually, around this time on Sunday, and then we'll post it on YouTube. All right, everybody. Bye-bye.